Hello, and welcome to episode 32 of the postcast with Rabbi Shmuel Posner. Jeez, early in the morning. Sorry, folks. <laughs> Rabbi Shmuel <laughs> Posner and myself, Seth Halvin. Rabbi, how are you doing today? Baruch Hashem, we're fine. We just let everybody know that we're doing this at 9 a.m. in the morning, which is really midday if you get up at 5.30. Well, just yeah, if, if you're if you're a, a nut job like Rabbi Posner here and you get up at, at 3.30 every single morning after having gone to bed at 2.30 every morning. I would allow you to take back the nut job thing. But here's, <laughs> here's the deal he's talking about. Get, get up with the sun. The sun got up at a quarter to seven, so that's okay. So what number are we at now? We're at 32. 32. 32 is Leif. So the Hayyim for today, the, the daily teaching that the Rebbe has in this book called Hayyim Yayim, Day to Day, which he published in 1943 by the instruction of the previous Rebbe, talks about one of the fundamentals of Chabad Hasidus is that through your Chachma Bina Das, since your intellect, your understanding, and your knowledge, the natural thing that a person is born with, that the mind controls the heart, is able to subordinate the heart to serve Hashem. So Lev is the heart. So the whole point over here is not so much intellectualism, but how it affects the heart. So number 32, which is today's uh, postcast, has this message and is very much connected because we have two major Chabad holidays. One was two days ago, Monday, and one is on Shabbat. Kislev is full of Chabad holidays, you know that. Yeah. Now you do. Last week you had the, the Mittler Rebbe let out of jail. Yutas Kis, of course, is the time the Baal HaTanya, the first Chabad Rebbe, was let out of jail. In 1798, um, and it's a major holiday. We call it Rosh Hashanah for Hasidus. We go, ah, how could you say Rosh Hashanah? The Mishnah says there's only four Rosh Hashanahs. But even that, where did the Mishnah come with four? So the idea is that you're allowed to, you don't can't add, add or detract anything from the Torah. So if you said it's a Torah commandment or it's a Torah holiday, that would be wrong. But the fact that you rejoice and give thanks to Hashem for a special occasion, that's totally on board. So these two holidays are fundamental to whole Chabad existing. Because Alt Rebbe was the first Chabad Rebbe. And his imprisonment was was partially because he supported Israel, which is very interesting and the whole situation is going on today. And that is like, what right did Jews have to Israel? And they showed up in 48 and they da 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 In 1790, right, already then the Hasidim of Chabad were in Israel and the Alt Rebbe was sending them money to support them. A large part of the of the last part of Tanya of the two last parts of Tanya, the the Igeres Hakodesh, the collection of letters of the Alter Rebbe, talks about the mitzvah of tzedakah and specifically sending money to Eretz Yisrael. So that we're talking about 1700s, and we know that throughout time since the Jews came to Israel, if we're going to go all the way back to Avram Avinu, who was in Canaan. And shortly after, the Moshe brought the Jews into Israel has always been in the presence of Jews in Israel. And as we cause the Altar was sending money to Israel, which was then under the, um, under the Ottoman Empire, which the Russians didn't get along with. So that was the basis for the Altar being considered to be a, a rebel against the Russian authorities. And there was also very non- there's a lot of there's a lot said about Yutes Kislev. It's a major holiday because if the Alter Rebbe God doesn't get out of jail, where does Chabad go? So that was like that's like wow, this is amazing. That's why it's Rosh Hashanah for Hasidus because now there was a there is a story that the 
Altrebbe had a, two visitors in prison. He, one he recognized, one he wasn't sure who it was, but he figured it out. Because one came in and he said, oh, that's my teacher, the Magadim is rich. And, he, and in front of him went somebody else. So he figured if, he, if, the, if his teacher is giving honors to his teacher, Baal Shem Tov. And the Altair said, why, why is this happening to me? <laughs> so they said, it's because you're, you're, you're opening a whole new avenue of understanding Judaism, a whole new depth of understanding Judaism. And so therefore, in heaven, there's some kind of tur- turmoil, like, what's going on over here? So he said to him, well, maybe I should stop. He said, no, 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 you shouldn't stop. You should do it even more. Like, once it's, once it's broken through, the Gemara tells us also, the Gemara in Shabbos says, when, when, Mo, Mo, when Hashem would give the Torah to the Jews, the angels complained to Hashem, leave the Torah in heaven. And Hashem said to Moshe, well, talk to them. He said to him, what does it say in the, in the Ten Commandments? Do not kill. Honor your father and your mother. Like, do you guys have fathers and mothers? You guys in heaven? Do you have any desire to kill? To steal? No. So the Torah has to come down here. So the, so the idea of being, being, of having some kind of opposition to new advances in Yiddishkeit is, we see it all the way from the beginning. And so the Baal Shem Tov and the Magad said to Al-Trebbe, no, that you, now that you've started, you should do it even more, even in a greater way. And so Al-Trebbe came out of prison and spread Yiddishkeit even, in even a more powerful way. And so that makes, that makes, you know, that makes Rosh Hashanah for, for Hasidus, because it's like a whole new beginning and spreading of, of Yiddishkeit, of, Torah, uh, of the teaching of Hasidus. And so this is, and, and very much connected with Eretz Yisrael. So you have these two things bound together. Um, and so the Altrebbe's imprisonment was not, was partially was that a money issue, but also was an intellectual thing. Because one of the things they accused the Altrebbe of was that he wanted to be king, kingship. And that was a rebellion against, against the Tsar. And a psychologist had a visit with Alter Rebbe and, and did an did a, did a analysis of him. And he said he can tell that the, the Alter Rebbe has, is, is unsettled. He has some great aspiration that he's trying to reach, some greatness he's trying to come to. I said, ah, they use that against him. You see that? You want to be king. Now, of course, this aspiration that the Alter Rebbe had was for the King Mashiach. So that's, that's, that's very normal for great people. The Rebbe also. The Rebbe, on one hand, was very positive, very upbeat, but at the same time, very driven by something that he was missing, which was Mashiach. And that's what he always pushed everybody. Continue, continue, continue. So if you watch even conversations the Rebbe has with people, he's very pleasant and very upbeat and very positive. But then he pushes them, you've got to do more, you've got to do more, you've got to do more, you've got to be stronger, you've got to be stronger. So now they're, you know, they're publishing a lot of videos that the Rebbe had with different people about Eretz Yisrael. And I was just watching this week with Shamir and 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 Beg and Begim and Achim Begim, who were prime ministers of Israel. You know, by the way, Prime Minister Shamir once came to Boston University. He's really? American or something, and he visited Boston University. And uh, I have a picture somewhere of it. If I dig it, I, I don't know where it is anymore. But I, the one thing I remember, he's a short guy, and he, they gave him like they they were presenting him with like an honorary degree of some sort. And so he's wearing the, the uh, Boston University gown, and they gave him the hat to wear. You know, and it's like, it's a beret type thing, right? And he just put it on, like, he pulled it down. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit like, well, not your hat, because it has the brim there. Without the brim, imagine, he just pulled it down. And just remember, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so when Rebbe talked to them, 
He was always telling them, you got to be strong, you got to be strong, you got to be strong. There was, there was a, something in the Rebbe that he wanted them to see the Jewish pride being pronounced on the world stage. And I don't want to get into a whole conversation about this, but the, what's going on right now is a disaster. It's terrible. Because the Rebbe always, every time, whether it was 60, 67, 73, 80, whatever time there was conflict in Israel, the Rebbe always said, you got to go to the end. You got to finish them off. You got to finish them off. And, and you see, and every time, they, and they wouldn't do it. They would always stop. There always was outside pressure. And the Rebbe said to them, the outside pressure, ignore it, because they really want you to win. They just have to play this game, like the United States government. They have to say to everybody, oh, you know, don't, don't do this, don't do that. But they, they, they really want, you know, that you should win and be, be strong. And, and all these other side countries or, or, or groups that are trying to attack you, if you're stronger, America will be happy. And so when Netanyahu said a couple weeks ago, no ceasefire until we destroy Hamas, da, 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 and now it's dragging out and dragging out and dragging out. Hashem should help. But the point is, getting back, getting back, to, getting back to the original point is that there's an unsettled. The Rebbe was unsettled. He wanted something. And he wanted us to want it as well. That's why we want Mashiach now. So what does the word want mean? Want means when you're missing something, there's a want. So you, you have to always feel that need to get some more, some more, some more, some more. And, yeah, so that was, that was the, so they accused al Rebbe of wanting, wanting kingship, which of course he wanted kingship, he wanted King Messiah to be here, and which is really the whole point of Hasidus, is to, you know, elevate the world, and to see, the, see godliness in a revealed way. And that starts with ourselves, like the mind controlling the heart, that we should actually behave in a way according to what Hashem wants. And that will ultimately will bring Mashiach, but that's the, that's what we have to do. So that was that was Yutes Kisiv. That is Yutes Kisiv. This Shabbos, a big Shabbos. I think at this point we should interrupt for a personal point that Seth is not in his usual place, if you notice, but he has moved to. Should we reveal where you are? Yeah, I think we already mentioned anyway. We did somewhere in Detroit. All we know is he's two blocks away from a Chavara. So we're in Boston, great. We're, it's we're not worried. Perfect location. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've already met the Chabad Rabbi too. The, the mm. Pinsons seem very, very nice. I, I spoke to uh, to Mrs. Pinson on the phone last week. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. They're uh, we, we've got Shabbos this week with them, and so that should be good. It should be a lot of fun. Um, so I'll be there for for those two days, and then apparently he does the same kind of thing that you do with the uh, with the Wednesday learning. So. Um, hopefully, uh, I won't be able to go every week just because my work schedule is going to involve a lot of night work on Wednesdays. But um, on, on the weeks when I don't have to work on uh, on Wednesday night, I'm going to make sure to go over there. So okay. it should be fun. We, you know, I, like I said, we already met him. He came. He put up uh, Mrs. Yes. in the in the apartment. Beautiful. So beautiful. And um, so you'll be ready. You test Kislev. Like he, he'll think you're some Yahoo who doesn't know what's going on. He'll say, yeah. Oh yeah, no, Dal Tanya. Sure. Yeah. We start Tanya. The cycle of Tanya, the year of the cycle of Tanya starts on Shabbos. Mm. So I, I urge anybody who's listening to us, and we don't know who they are. They're all, all over the place. We don't know who they are. We find out little by little. But um, start, get onto the Tanya schedule. You go to Chabad.org. There's, there's so many different options. Or you can get, you can get it even on the app. Chabad.org has classes on the app. You Fancy. jump in with Rabbi Gordon, Rabbi Manus Friedman. They have a lot of different teachers that you can just make it a habit to, to learn the daily portion of Tanya. You'll be uplifted and inspired 
so that's um, yeah, that's going on. And Yudal Kislev, which was which was Monday, is the Rebbe's wedding to the Rebbe Sanchaim Mushka, daughter of the previous Rebbe. One of the central things about it is that on the 25th anniversary, the Rebbe had a fabrengen and said, this is the day I connected with you and you connected to me. In a sense, being that the Rebbe now was married to the Friedrich Rebbe's daughter and then that put him in line for the succession of coming Rebbe. So it's a, a bond with us. There's one interesting thing. So at some point, they made a fabrengen in, in, in 770 in honor of this back, when, you know, back in the day. And they wrote a report to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe responded, you, you, know, you, you told me about all the things you did, the, the things that were discussed, this and that. You don't mention dancing. It's a, it's a celebration of a wedding anniversary. There should be dancing. <laughs> so anytime you look at Eifan Brengen that's going on, on Yudal Kislev, you'll see that at the end there's, there's dancing, because the Rebbe said there should be dancing. It's, I, I guess it's, it's it, and it's not a joke, I think what the Rebbe is saying is if you want to relive something, relive it properly. So if you really feel the joy of the wedding anniversary, then get up and dance. Not that there should be a dance party, but in addition to everything else that you're doing and saying, and, all, and everything has to have a, some kind of positive resolution, you should also be dancing. So I think that's, that's amazing. So that was, that was Yudala Kislev, yeah. Otherwise, what's going on in the world? What's going on in the world? What's going on in the world? So, Hani and I, since Thanksgiving is a major American holiday, which is observed in some form by American Jews as well, or Jews in America. So we realized that Boston would be very, very, very quiet. In fact, some alum visited us on Sunday and they said that the, the, <laughs> the price of a room at Hotel Commonwealth was very, very low. And some other guy, some other kid, like, Said like he came back, he needed, he needed to, he couldn't be in his apartment. He had to go to a hotel. Very very cheap. So even the hotels, if you want to visit Boston, a great time to come is Thanksgiving weekend. Except don't expect to find anybody around to reach you. Anyway, so we talk of to Binghamton, to Rachel and, and Zalman and, and their kids, Baruch Hashem, Kanai Nahara. And there was a minion there. Lo and behold, Shabbos day was pretty cute. There were like eleven people. <laughs> Well, you have a couple of rabbis and a couple of whatever. There's people that are hanging out. Actually, a couple of students were there as well. So, um, yeah, that, but just the, the drive there is amazing because you go west. And then yeah, you north. take 90 like the whole way, don't you? Right, past until the end of 90, and then you, or whatever, you get off of 90, and then you go up west there, go up north, and through the mountains. It's like, who lives here? What do these people do here? It looks more deserted than Vermont or New Hampshire. Could you imagine? <laughs> I can't imagine because I did that exact drive and then some on uh, on Sunday. Right. <laughs> so that was that was um, that was very nice to be there, and it's nice to see what's going on there. And that was very powerful. And so, you know, the grandkids, the eight grandkids. You can't go past the grandkids. So here's some, you know, because Yusef, you're like you you have like a lot of. I mean, aside of all the other things about you, but you, you sometimes you come up with random things that maybe you pick up on your daf yomi or something. So, Rachel's child, Shammai, who I believe is four years old, four or five, I think four, and <laughs> he says something about, not, you're not allowed to have a chatzitza. I said, what's a chatzitza? What do you raise? He said, a chatzitza is when you need to put something in the mikvah, you can't have everything separating it. So, like, if you have a pot or something you want to put in the mikvah, you have to take it out of the plastic bag. That's a chatzitza. 
And I said to him, did you ever go to a mikveh? He said, no, I don't go to the mikveh. I'm a little boy. I said, did you ever go to Tati to dip dishes in the mikveh? He said, no. So I'm, I'm still a little bewildered how Shammai, at four years old, knows what chatzitza is. But there you go. Like, you know, this, it's, it's really beautiful. <laughs> I don't know who's teaching, what's teaching him, but it, they're doing a good job there. Yeah, we're, we're in an interesting spot, speaking of Dafyomi. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit behind, but I'll be caught up after today. But the the discussions that have been going on recently are very, very interesting. We're in Babakama, so it's all about, you know, animals and the destruction caused by animals and who's liable at what point and, you know, that whole that whole thing. And the the takeaway I had, it was a very interesting concept. If you have an animal that is eating, right? So it's, it's the different types of damage that an animal can cause. When are you fully, you know, when are you not? And, and one of the things where you would be like fully responsible for paying for the damages is damage with the teeth. But that usually only applies when they're eating something inappropriate, right? So like if they're eating something like a, like a cloth, right? An animal's not supposed to eat a cloth. But if they're eating something that is appropriate for them to eat, but they're in the middle of the street, the owner is liable to pay for whatever the benefit was for the animal. But if they're on the side of the street, like the sidewalk, they're only meant to pay for the damage caused. So like they pay the value of whatever the, the animal ate. So it's just a very interesting, like the, the technicalities of it. Like what, what, what does it matter if, if the animal's in the middle of the road or if it's on the, uh, on the sidewalk? Right, yeah, because that, that, yeah, that goes into to, to the level of damage. And, and the responsibility of the owner. And it's interesting because I, when I learned this, you know, the four different damages, so immediately our teacher, I think it was Rabbi Bukit, of blessed memory, his son, he should be well, is a shliach in Lexington, Massachusetts, my classmate. Um, he said immediately, there's four different types of damages, and we're talking about the behema by an animal. And of course, learning Hasidus and Tanya we talk about the animals, the animal soul. Right. So there's different ways that the animal soul rebels and how you have to do it. And so essentially the question is, is the animal soul doing it for its own pleasure? Then it's, that's normal. Animal, but, and now there actually, in Tanya's talks about the animal soul of the Jew is not like the animal soul of a non-Jew. Because the animal soul of the Jew doesn't want forbidden things. It goes against its nature, which you talk about also if animals do things, like you're talking about eating a cloth, that's not normal. Like, you have a, the animal, this is a sick animal, it's a crazy animal. And, and you, you would expect the animal wouldn't do that, so the damages is higher. If it's eating, well, what do you expect an animal to do? That's what it does. And so a Jew naturally doesn't want to do against, even the animal soul, the Jew doesn't want to go against the love of Hashem. If a Jew is going against the love of Hashem, there's something essentially problematic. And the Altar says, how would that ever happen? It's what, if you, if you, endorse the animal soul and its permissible behavior to the point that it becomes gluttonous about it, then it can even cross over into the forbidden. So that's uh, something to think about as you learn Baba Kama and the damages of an animal translating into our own personal animal soul. It's an interesting, yeah, I'll have to, like, if that kind of changes the perspective on it, right? Like, you, if, I, if I start thinking about it through that lens, everything's a little bit different. Right, right. Well, this is, this is what Hasidus is. Hasidus is the soul. There's a, there's a letter that the Rebbe wrote in 1972. There's a, a, a symposium of Jewish mysticism in London, a few, a few Lubavitch, it was a big deal then. The Rebbe wrote a letter to them and talked about what, what Jewish mysticism is the soul to the body. Everything has a soul to the body. Everything has a God, the energy makes it li- exist. 
It's a very fascinating letter. Um, and so in Torah, has the body and soul. So you, as you're learning the Gemara, you say, wait, wait a second, what does that mean to me? Because one of the problems, problems learning Gemara is like, oh man, it's so irrelevant. Like, who cares? Right, so yeah. Technically, I mean, technically, you need that like, modernized version of it, right? Because you've got them talking about like cows walking through the neighborhood <laughs> and they step on a stone that hits a earthenware right. pot, right, right. right? Like no, no one, no, no one no, leaves their pots out on the side of the street. Yes, 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 exactly. So I was walking down Commonwealth Avenue yesterday. And it was a very successful walk. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, but on the way home, I'm rushing back to get home because it was, it was almost close time for Mincha. And I see these three guys on the bench. There's actually two guys and a woman, girl. And the guy in the middle, I knew. I said, hey, Mikey, how you doing? And of course, how you doing with your tefillin? And all three of them are smoking. Mm. <laughs> I said, you should put a, a lasagna, you know, a skeleton, you know, you know, but it's a bones and, and a skeleton. Like, this is the death, you know, the death bench, sitting there smoking. Or else I said, then he said, and I had to lighten it up. Said, you should put a picture of people jogging. We're really jogging. We're just resting for a minute. Mm. Anyway, um, so I was talking to the girl. And, um, and she talks somewhere where she's from, from someplace in New York that I know. It, Park Slope is actually hops going to jump from Crown Heights. And I told you she comes to Crown Heights. Da, 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 da. And then she mentioned something about where she goes to shul. And she, I said, oh, Park Slope has it. my friend Shimon Hech, my classmate. We're dropping names like crazy. Um, has a shul there. And I was like, you know, Park Slope. You can go. So no, we go there. It's more progressive. And I said to her, Progressive? the most progressive group in Judaism is Chabad. Right? Now, what does that mean? I didn't, I didn't get into a long explanation with her. I just gave her Shabbos candles and, and we parted as friends. I said to her, <laughs> the point is, you talk about the Torah. The Torah never changes. The application changes. And so the beauty of Torah is, and that's really what progressive is, not to change your value system. Then, then you're not progressing anything. You just... You just Everything's been fine till now. You're just going to change everything over and, and start from new. No, don't be. The, the world has survived till today. Let's build on what's there, but don't just try to change everything and start change the foundations. So you take the tone and apply it to today. So, for example, you talk about a cow walking and and a kick, and a, someone gets kicked up. Perfect example is you're driving and your car is driving through gravel and boom, and it shoots off a stone and breaks someone's windshield. So the, that, 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 that is one of the beauties of learning Gemara. And if it's taught properly, you have to then sit and say, how does this actually apply to today? Which is fascinating. If you learn Gemara and Halacha, just, it's, I found it just intellectually fascinating. How do you resolve an issue today based on a text that was written 2,000 years ago? And that's, that's what Halacha is all about. And that's what they're doing. Well, I mean, the thing with that, too, is they somehow managed to cover everything. I don't, I don't think there's a certain, I don't think there's an example of something that I could think of and apply it and not find the answer. You know, right. everything, what, what, everything's uh, there. Right. What does Torah say about this? What does it say, and, and sometimes people come with these crazy things. You know, think like, yeah, what does Torah say about that? But yes, the idea being, not that the world is created in Hashem. So, okay, I'm going to drop a Torah on the world. No. Hashem had the Torah. So I'm going to make a world where I can get my Torah. So the Torah is the blueprint of the world. Like, oh, if that's the way, let's, 
Anytime you look in the building, like, okay, can we move this wall, not move this wall, look in the blueprints, go back to the blueprints, and there you have it. So getting back to my, my walk to um, BU yesterday, which I told you, I, I mentioned, I, I, and yesterday I, I got in two because I went to Berkeley also, which was, I usually go there on Thursday, and it was, it was very interesting. A few students come, hey, it's not Thursday today, <laughs> which I, I find that, and, and what, it was a very successful trip there too. But the point is that when people get notice you and like they expect you to be there, and so I went there, and again, there was a Palestinian table in the in the GSU, the Student Union, and across it they had the Israeli and they had the um, hostages thing there. So a number of things happened there. There was a bunch of Jewish kids there. Um, so a girl came up. They're having a program tomorrow night. I forgot. It's some like a group of from different Arab countries. They have representatives that come and, and they and, and a couple of Jewish ones. And it's an organization that goes around from from city to city and, and has this discussion about the facts of what one. I think it was Sharaka, Shakara, something like that. Anyway, a, so a very girl, similar group came last year. It could be because I same. remember going in the fall to that. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. Anyway, so a girl says. Should I go to the people at the Palestinian table and tell them about this program? Because it looks, it, it doesn't look like, I mean, it's obviously done, done by Jewish people, but there's a bunch of people from Arab countries. I said, yeah, sure, go over and, you know, be nice, talk, just talk to them nicely. And she came back with a guy from that table, and whether he's going to show up or not, I don't know. But I thought it was a beautiful thing that they want, they're, they're just sitting there, they're not, they're not screaming, they're not chanting, there's nothing outwardly that looks offensive. Um, it's a Palestinian flag, and I don't know. I don't have. I don't go to their table, and engage with them. But last week, when I walked by them, they said hello to me. I said hi. These are not bad people. I think they're probably misinformed. Um, there's some point of saying, yeah, we care about the Palestinian people. We should care about them. We do care about them. It's the Hamas that we have a problem with. And it sounds a beautiful thing. Another thing, I was sitting there um, nearby, and this Chinese girl comes over to me, and this is not racial play profiling. She actually told me she's from China. And she, and she started talking to me, says, I see you hanging around a lot here. I'm like, what, who are you? <laughs> what are you doing? So I explained to her what you know, the Chabad is all about. And then she said, and we started talking about what does Judaism have to say about non-Jews? And I said to her, I said, the difference in Judaism and other religions is you can, we say to you, you're a, if you're a good person, you fulfilled your mission in life as far as Judaism is concerned. You don't need to be Jewish to be a good person. If you talk to a Christian or a Muslim, they say, yeah, the only way you can be saved or is you you got to join our, our religion. But Torah doesn't say that about non-Jews. It says you have to believe in God and believe in, you know, the God, that God put you on this world and, and gave you things to do, the seven Noah commandments. But you don't need to become a Jew. And then she said to me, wow, because <laughs> I met you once and you don't, you don't, like, you don't want to talk to me. <laughs> and I remembered that. I remember, but I remember what it was because she came over then. She wanted to know if she can. I think it was like the first month of school when everybody's you know looking for things. She wanted to know if she come for Shabbos. And I'm like, ah, it's mostly for Jews. Yes, you can come, but 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 whatever. And and she took away the impression that I had something against her. So to me. I'm not going to say it was equal to, like yesterday, put on film with like five guys sitting at their table. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to equivocate one to the other. But I will say this, that the outreach to non-Jews, and I spoke to you about Israel as well, you know, to understand, you know, without, without getting into deep, just understanding the connection Jews have to the land of Israel. 
We need to do that. We need to interact with the non-Jews and get them to understand what where we're this coming is, from. This There's is no very way. Hillel of you, Rabbi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, um, okay, the, I'm, there's nothing wrong with Hillel, I mean, really, I don't, I don't know, the, the thing is like this, the thing is like this. <laughs> That's right, I'm no longer affiliated with anything, so I can say whatever I want, you have to be a little bit more, uh, what I'm saying, I don't mean to say, what I'm saying like this, interacting with Goyim is a very, very Chabad thing. The Rebbe spoke about this. The Rambam says the seven Noachai commandments. You have to teach non-Jews about seven Noachai commandments. And the Rambam writes very clearly this, this obligation upon the Jews. In the situation we're doing here is interacting with Goyim and letting them understand the whole situation with Israel is very important. Because most of the people that are running around screaming and shouting simply have no idea what they're talking about. I'm not saying that our major push, I mean, it was it was nice talking to non-Jew, and it's always I always mention whenever somebody comes over to me and is, and, and, and is positive about, you know, get, I'm praying for you, I'm da, da, da. it's wonderful, fantastic. Obviously, the number one, and the only way that's going to happen, by the way, is if the Jews are proud of who they are. Because if you ask a typical Jewish person, can you explain, and just very clearly and very briefly, what the connection of Jews is to Eretz Yisrael, many of them won't be able to do that. You know, start talking about 1948, the Holocaust. No, nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. It has to do with the essential connection that we have to to land of Israel. By the way, talking about the Holocaust, so on the way to, way back from, from Binghamton, we listened to this podcast about whatever, different different speakers, and, and we're talking about the march, the rally march in, in Washington that happened like last week, two weeks ago. And there was one rabbi came out against it, and what should we do, we should not do it. And so this one rabbi is saying, like, how could you, don't you understand how important this is? This is 1930, the Holocaust, and we're going to have the same thing. And I was like, that's terrible. There should never be talk about the Holocaust is coming. We are not in that situation. We've got to wipe that out of, yes, anti-Semitism is something that we should address, we should, we have to, it's not something to worry about, it's nothing to be scared about. We've got to stop this. I have a mother of a student, doesn't stop like, the world is coming to an end. And if the students don't start, the, the students have to be proud that they're Jewish, number one. And, be, and, 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 and once you have that, then at, from a, a point of strength, not because you're worried, not because you're scared, but because you people are in a form. We've got to tell you, teach you what the right, what the right perspective is. But not, we're not afraid what's going to happen. We've got to get this fear out of us. It, it, it's, just a, it's such a sad and terrible place to be. We, the Jews, are here. We always will be here. Hashem promised us. There's no question about that. That's, there's nothing to worry about. And to compare United States to Germany in 1930 is bizarre and ridiculous. It just, it just, factory doesn't work that way. It's not, it's not what, it's not where we're at at all. You go, you go to the police. You go to this. You go to the authorities, and and they take care of things for you. Okay, you don't like it exactly what's going on. That's fine. But don't don't make those comparisons. That's terrible. It's not state-sponsored anti-Semitism, which you had, like, like you had in in uh, in Germany, Leolandum. So, and that's why when I, I sent you this picture with Simon Jacobson and the president of elect of Argentina, which is just amazing, that that he is so. Um, excited and inspired by Judaism and by the Rebbe's teachings, and I assume this, a lot of it comes through Simon Jacobson. Anybody want to check out what he's doing? MeaningfulLife.com. 
I checked out, he had something posted online, it had like 100,000 views, talking about Israel and the situation. There he is. Read it. Rabbi Simon Jacobson greets an emotional Javier, whatever his last name is, president-elect of Argentina, near the oil of the Semble of Ab in Queens, New York, November 27th. This is current news. So this guy came. I'm not sure what it, that, that, that emotion is like unbelievable that he should, but I guess I guess he's the first time he met, I don't know, it's the first time he met Simon Jacobson, who he's learned so much from and about, because um, since he was one of the people that was a would transcribe the Rebbe's talks, and after Gimel Thomas just was out there teaching, 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 and lecturing, and sharing the Rebbe's teachings in, in an amazing way. So the fact that a president of a country is inspired by the Rebbe's teaching, that's exactly what, what it's all about. Now, of course, he's a secular guy, and he's, and he's, you know, and he's president of a country, but the influence they can have and how he behaves... And that's really what we need to be doing. Every single person can do that. Obviously, number one, first and foremost, we're coming to Hanukkah. If somebody, by the way, yes, right over, right over Seth's right shoulder, reach up there, there is his menorah. <laughs> Any person who lights a menorah and thinks I celebrate a Hanukkah, wrong. You need to give your neighbor a Hanukkah menorah. You've got to find another Jew who doesn't have a menorah and share it with him. And I had this. I got an email from my nephew, Eichen Posner, in Skokie, saying he has something on his website, I guess. You can get a free menorah kit. Ah. So some guy in Boston asked him for the menorah. He said, will you take care of this? I said, sure. So I, I, I messaged the guy. He's new in Boston. He's doing a... Uh, he has a PhD, he's doing a PhD MD program, and he said he searched online for a free Hanukkah menorah kit, and somehow Chicago came up. <laughs> so I, my nephew, instead of shipping it, I can just, and so a guy came, gave him the menorah, he said, no, it's not good enough, I got another one for somebody else. Oh yeah, in the lab I'm working, there's another Jew there. Boom! That's Hanukkah. Spread the light. So this is a very uplifting week. Shabbos is Yutes. We had Yudal Kislev. We have Yutes Kislev on Shabbos. Then comes Hanukkah next week. We got to spread light. And then the darkness will dissipate on its own. And we'll merit come Mashiach. Amen. And with that, Ooh. that's all with the time we have for episode 32 of the postcast for Rabbi Shmuel Posner. Thank you so much for listening. And have a great week, everybody. Good Yutes Kislev and a happy Hanukkah. We'll see you next week.